Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey, everybody. It's Joe Trippy, and welcome back to That Trippy Show. We talk a lot about polls on this show, but one that was very important to Alex and me was the poll we had last week that showed Doug Jones up one. Uh, the news broke on Pod Save America, and ever since, uh, people have been responding, uh, contributing to the campaign, giving us uh, about halfway to the money we need for the last week. Uh, so if any of you can still help, please do. But because this poll was so big for us, and we, d we decided to invite our pollster, Paul Maslin, uh, who tracks every night for the Jones campaign and was there with us in 2017, called it right on the money when everybody else had it wrong. Lots of people had it wrong. And, and, uh, and so we wanted to bring him on, talk a little bit about that poll, uh, how, it, uh, how it all works, and about a few other things uh, that Paul's the right person sitting on the right perch, including Wisconsin. You'll hear about it. Uh, and here's our interview. So, Paul, uh, we we got the good news uh, when you came out of the field uh, with our track that showed us up a, a point uh, that you released in uh, and last night because uh, we track uh, pretty constantly. Uh, we were even. Uh, that's been the way this thing's been going. Uh, why don't you give us some of the highlights? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Joe. I mean, we've been tracking for, for three weeks now, and the margin uh, on any given sort of three-day average that we look at in this race has never been more than, than three points. Um, as you said, we actually were ahead of Tuberville last week. As of today, it's basically even. Uh, the, the, the pieces that are most interesting about Alabama, you start with Obviously, in any southern state, you have to start with a, you know, sort of the, the racial quotient here. Um, Doug Jones got about 96 percent of the African-American vote in his special election in 2017. And a lot of people think, well, we can't really duplicate that. You know, you're going to be much lower than that. Well, we've pretty consistently now for two weeks had Tommy Tuberville getting no more than four percent of the African-American vote back. That's where he is as of today. So it's entirely possible. We haven't been counting on it, but it's entirely possible that Jones will, in fact, come close or it perhaps could even duplicate his performance among African-Americans this time. And then you sort of go, well, what does that mean about white votes? And why are these other polls showing such a big margin? And it's a pretty simple equation. Um, you sort of make a basic judgment about turnout uh, and everything we see. The early voting is very strong. A lot of it is African-American, very strong for Jones so far in Alabama. Uh, everything we see suggests that we have to win around a third of the white vote. You can argue it might be 34 or 35, uh, but it's somewhere in that 33, 34 range. And we are just barely below that right now. Um, and with undecided voters who, frankly, really don't like Tommy Tuberville very much. And you can sense that, you know, many of them will will vote for Donald Trump. 
Um, they are Republicans or at least Republican in orientation. Um, but they are they are either already moving to Jones or poised to move to Jones. And, and we certainly feel um, pretty hopeful about what could happen in these last two weeks. We're winning the independent vote uh, as of today. Uh, we've, we've broken ahead again among independents by about 20 points, uh, winning moderates by huge margins uh, in the state. Um, and so everything that we're looking at sort of day to day suggests this is a very, very close race. Uh, in which all the normal factors of of turnout and late breaking vote and those pieces that you know none of us there's no one in America that really knows for sure what's going to happen in this very bizarre year but but Doug, Doug Jones is is poised extremely well and and a lot of it goes back to the fact that he's seen as the person who's better on health care about working across party lines that's more effective his actual record compared to a guy who's simply a a former football coach uh, uh, and that's all he's ever been um, that Jones has advantage has advantages on COVID. I mean, a number of, of of pieces here that are that are going in our way. Is there a difference in methodology too? I mean, that these some of these other pollsters who come in once a month or once every three or four months or what, what I would say is I think that some people go entirely online. I think that's a mistake. Uh, we saw that in 2017. Frankly, two or three of the polls that were way off that year, and we. we as you know, Joe, we, we knew that was a close race. It was a close race even before the, the Washington Post story about, about Roy Moore and the, and the young girls had broken um, and stayed a close race all the way through uh, that entire election. So we always had a pretty good handle on, on that election year. And I think we're feeling pretty you know, equally confident this year. This is a, a very close race. So part of it is the methodology of actually doing the interviews. Part of it is the sample. I think a lot of people, I think this is a, a mistake that is made on both sides. Uh, in 2016, it tended to be on the more progressive side or some of the media interests who thought the electorate was still the Obama electorate, didn't understand that it was changing under Trump. And I think you could make the same mistake this time by overcorrecting and, and looking back and saying, well, there's going to be some huge share of non-college educated white voters and you know somehow they'll be disproportionate. You know, we've got a pretty good handle on what we think the electorate is, what it was in 2016, what it was in 2017, uh, in a smaller turnout year, obviously, and, and then what it is this year. And, and you know, again, when you do this over and over and over again every night, you know, I'm up at one o'clock in the morning every night looking at this data. You, you sort of, it's a weird thing that pollsters will tell you, you sort of have a relationship with the numbers at some point. And, you know, you either think they're good or not. And when you get enough confidence after doing this long enough, uh, you start to trust your own stuff. And and I there's no doubt in my mind that we're in a close race. Now, you had it close. Uh, you had it close uh, all the way through 2017, called it right on the money. Uh, yeah, including, you know, including, let's face it, there was a movement toward uh, more when Trump went to Pensacola at the very now, you know, he's not going to go to Alabama this time, but or even close, probably. But but, you know, and it jerked our numbers back a couple of points and toward the the finish when, when Jones won by two. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think we're, anyway, we're, we're pretty confident. This is a really, your, your listeners need to know, uh, they haven't heard much about Doug Jones this year, and a whole lot of people have assumed this is a safe Republican seat from day one. And, and those are people really ignorant of what's actually happening on the ground and what's been happening in the campaign. So it's a very close race. Well, you're up in Wisconsin, and I, I want to get your take on that in a minute. But the one thing I want uh, listeners to, to know is that uh, t tracking polls are, are the crack cocaine of American politics, right? You get 
you get addicted to waking up in the middle of the night and yeah. going over the numbers. And so, uh, Paul is sleepless uh, uh, when they come in about 1, 1.30 in the morning. Uh, Alex and I are waking up to check our our cell phones or, or laptops to see uh, if they've come in yet. Uh, and then they do come in and you're like, oh gosh, we moved uh, you know, from three points down to one point up uh, and you, you can't go back to sleep. So I, I just want people... You know, and you have this weird sensation where because we all do sort of these rolling averages over three nights, you know, all it really is is sort of recreating a new poll every three nights. And sometimes it's the simple case of some interviews that weren't so great being replaced by interviews that are better. And, you know, you never know whether is it real movement or is it just the sample working itself out. So you sort of tell this story, but you're half conscious the entire time that that, it you know, it may simply be a numbers deal and may or may not be a real story. And, and sometimes, you know, you're smart enough, Joe, and those of us who've done this long enough, sometimes we recognize the real differences. And when we see something that, okay, this isn't just the sample getting a little funky, this is actually more reflective of something real in the campaign. Um, you, you, you try to learn the difference, but it's tricky. But you're right. You put Every it, night. Yeah. So, so none of us are, Alex and I and Paul are not getting any sleep, not sleeping at all. You're uh, sitting in a perch I'd love to hear about uh, up in Wisconsin. And I know a lot of our listeners would like to, you know, your bird's eye view of what you think's going on up there. Up is right because it's 35 degrees today and it's a real, <laughs> this is a real Wisconsin fall day for, for a change. So, yeah, well, it's, I, I, um, I just talked to somebody from the New York Post, which is an interesting exercise because it was like, you know, I decide oh, what the heck, you know, I'm talking to the enemy. But, you know, these days I, my job is to try to inform people no matter who they are. I mean, if we give up talking to each other, you know, I think that's that's a big mistake. And, and she was asking, well, what do you think about Wisconsin? And, and I, you know, as I sort of stepped back. Remember, Trump only won here by 23,000 votes. That's nothing. And you think about all the various factors that have changed between now and then. And, and literally, with the exception, Joe, of the obvious worry that we all still have about the ballots themselves, both how they're going to be counted and when they're going to be counted. And, you know, how does that get played out on election night and thereafter? But every other factor that I'm aware of in this state tends to be breaking in, in Biden's direction. And he really probably only needs one or two of them to win uh, when you're only trying to make up a 23,000 vote margin. And I, and I think that you know, and, and I go through them real quick. Demographically, of course, it's a bunch of young people that have been added to the electorate. That's that's a plus compared to those who who passed on who were who tend to be more Trump. Question: Will they all vote? Because some of them are college kids. The pandemic is a little weird about where are they and where are they in terms of the campuses and you know can we organize it properly? But that that's a change. Secondly, we had almost seven percent of the vote here went to the minor candidates last time. That's going to be cut in half. And every piece of data suggests that the voters who are coming back into the process who voted for a Gary Johnson or a Jill Stein or even blanked uh, in 2016 or it tend to be a Biden vote. So that's working for them. The turnout in Milwaukee, it was shaky last time. And of course, there was no effort till the very, very end, but basically no effort from the Clinton campaign whatsoever. Uh, their analytics told them they had no chance. I mean, they had they I'm mean, sorry that 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 Trump had no chance that they were going to win the state going away. So we didn't have the kind of on the ground activity that had happened with Obama in 20, 2008 and, and 2012. Obama came in 2012 and came to the state three times in the last 10 days, twice to Milwaukee. And this time it's very different and there's much more activity. And 
you know, some difficulties maybe again with the absentees, but I think everybody feels the turnout in Milwaukee is going to be bigger. So you have those three factors already. Add to that the suburbs, which are the most Republican suburbs of anywhere in the northeast quadrant of the country, the so-called wow counties uh, in suburban Milwaukee, Waukesha, Osaki, and, and Washington. There's clear evidence that Trump is weaker there. I mean, they're, they're a long way away from turning into the suburbs of Philadelphia or Detroit or a lot of other places, Chicago. But, but they're, they're starting to chip away slightly, slowly and surely. And Trump has lost support, you know, from previous Republican uh, elections, even, even from Scott Walker in, in 2018. Um, and, you know, so if he loses a few points there, that's deadly to him. And then all of northern Wisconsin is t- just totally, I, totally up for grabs. It swings back and forth. It voted huge for Obama. You know, an all-white, mostly rural, small city, small town part of Wisconsin voted for a guy from Chicago. I mean, you know, we, we hate the Bears here. Um, they voted overwhelmingly for Obama in 2008. They still voted for him in 2012, the same year that they voted for a, a lesbian liberal uh, congresswoman from Madison for the Senate, Tammy Baldwin, but then went back and forth. They went for Scott Walker two years later. They went for Scott Walker in the recall in June of 2012. Then they voted for Obama and 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 Baldwin and, and uh, again in 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 uh, in 2012 in Baldwin uh, that second time. Then they went for Walker. Then Trump. Then they they swung back toward Tony Evers, who won our race in 2018. I think when you're going to look at the returns, and I think the same is true in Michigan, and I hope it's true. I'm a little less confident about Pennsylvania, but I still think the same dynamic of that white working class, small city, some cases rural uh, vote in, in northern Wisconsin is going to swing back toward Joe Biden. And, and I think all those factors combined, I, I would be shocked, not that it, it won't seem perhaps for a while like Trump is ahead because of the way the votes get counted, but I'll be shocked if, if, a, if Biden doesn't have about a you know, three, four, five point um, victory at the end here, just, just what it seems like to me now. Well, you know, one of the things that uh, just going in Alabama, what we're seeing, look, you know, we know Clinton won, uh, was beat there by 28 points. Even our, even if you look at the worst case in our own stuff, Biden's 15, you 15, know, yeah, basically yeah, yeah. going to lose right. Alabama be, by half of what what Clinton. Well, if you lose Alabama, if Trump loses wins it by half what he won it by in right, right. 2016. That's Alabama. That's well, going other place. That has to be happening in Wisconsin well, and, and the, other places. And the truth is, and this is going to seem weird, but it, but, but it does work when you think it through logically. If the national polls are at least semi-correct, and by the way, the national polls weren't the problem in 2016. They accurately said Clinton would win by three, and she won by three. It was the state polls that were that were problematic. But let's assume right now the average for the national polls is somewhere around nine or ten, and they've been several that, that have been bigger than that. So if, if Trump has truly lost as much as six, seven, eight points off his margin, there aren't many more points you can get in New York and California and these very strong Democratic states. The battleground states and the battleground areas, by definition, are somewhat constrained because both sides are fighting over them. So they're not going to have the same big difference. There's some difference, and there will be, I think, uh, enough, again, I think, in state these Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Arizona, possibly Florida, uh, to make, make the difference. But, you know, the gap in the margin has to come somewhere, and where it really is is in the red states. Why are we sitting here two weeks before an election and talking about possibility of winning a Senate race in Georgia and, and, and Biden coming close to winning this state? 
winning a Senate race in South Carolina, winning a Senate race in Alabama, Texas becoming extraordinarily close. We got a, you know, a hint of that with Beto in, in, the, in 2018, but Texas coming closer and, 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 and a Senate race that's gotten closer there too. It, it has to be a, some serious decline that's occurred in the Trump base in some of his uh, reddest states. But, but anyway, to get back to Wisconsin, I, I, I just think it, it could still be relatively close here. I would be shocked. What, you know, other than getting past this last debate, what is the dynamic? We all know why 2016 changed at the end. This is an election driven by attitudes about an incumbent president at a time with the country in deep trouble, in which on the fundamental biggest issue facing the country, he is viewed negatively and he, he went out and, and attacked Fauci again today. Why in God's name would there be a swing back to him under in that scenario enough to make up the ground in, in some of these key states? I, I just don't see it. Okay, I'm going to bring up a sore subject then. Uh, 1980, Jimmy Carter. Yeah, late debate. I mean, you were there, right? You were there. Yeah, I was. Oh God, I was there. I could I can tell you the the Pat Cadell story of telling Carter. Carter went to a Carter's last rally that year was in Seattle. It's back when we had to fight for Washington. And he was, it was at an airport terminal, and he was all excited. You know, as far as he knew, the polls were still pretty close. Our polls had gone from even to five, and then that night it was 10. It just had blown up the last weekend. It was the, it was the Iranian hostage anniversary, the debate. Reagan had clearly won the debate. But he still thought he had a chance. And he got on to Air Force One and uh, all up and excited. Pat, Pat, what do you got? What are the latest polls? And Cadell had to say, Mr. President, I'm sorry, it's gone. And which is why you saw him that next morning just looking horrific. And it's why he was so quick to want to concede. But a lot of people were upset with that on the West Coast because he conceded before the polls closed because he'd known all day he was going to lose. That election broke against an incumbent at the end because the biggest issue that had haunted him that entire year, which was the Iranian uh, hostage crisis, uh, as well as a poorly performing economy, uh, just cropped up at the last minute in a big way. And, and it was just devastating. And you know, that was back when everybody watched the nightly news. And the nightly news that night was all about the anniversary of this horrible story and these hostages that were still there. And, um, you know, and so that, you know, Reagan was poised and it broke his way. I don't think there's not the same big trend going on here about the country ready to sort of move in a different direction. But but there is a there is a scenario where this election could break even bigger for Biden at the end of a bunch of undecided voters. It would be interesting to see if Biden does this more effectively in the debate on Thursday. He looks at the American people and says, folks, you want to end the craziness, the chaos, get us back on a path to normalcy. We're not going to agree on everything overnight. I'll work with these Republicans and there'll be, there'll be some problems and, you know, and we'll still have to, to fight our way through it. But, but there's one simple way you can lower the temperature and, and try to bring us back to the America we thought we knew. And then look over at Trump and say, just take that guy and vote him out of office. I think it's a powerful closing message, whether he does it in the debate or whether his final ads do it. So, you know, knock on wood, I, I, I think this thing could break actually in Biden's direction at the end. Could, could. We'll see. Thanks for listening to That Trippy Show. Please rate and review the show and leave us a question in iTunes or via email at thattrippyshow at gmail.com. Alex and I will see you Friday.
Did you know that most vitamin D3 supplements come from sheep's wool? I'm Kat, founder of Ritual. We're making traceability the new standard for the supplement industry. When I was pregnant, I couldn't find a multivitamin I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested, and clean label project certified. Oh, and our vitamin D3? It comes from sustainably harvested lichen from England, not sheep. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast.